What up? Welcome to You Had Me at Black. I'm Brittany Abrahams. Well, fam, we made it to the second cycle of our new series, At the House. Y'all, screw Rona. COVID has completely rearranged our lives, leaving us to wonder, what the hell does normal look like now? Whether it's trying to do life at home, working on the front lines, or coping with the death or illness of someone we love, we could use a sense of normalcy. In my family, we share stories, and it's how we connect, it's how we mourn, it's how we teach, it's how we celebrate. We created At The House with that in mind, and we teamed up with the guys at WOW Black Podcast. Let me cut you up on how it goes. We'll invite you all to submit stories about a particular topic. We will air them here every other Wednesday. For part two, head over to the Wild Black Podcast, which drops on Sundays. They dive in on that same topic, and they've lined up some amazing guests for perspective and advice. Friend, you do not want to miss those gems. If you haven't listened to their latest At The House episode, go check it out. They brought on Dr. Marissa Franco. She's an expert on platonic love and friendships. They broke down different kinds of love, why Black men struggle to say I love you to their male friends, and so much more. I laughed, I snapped like, yes, and my job dropped like that gift of that dude from The Wire. <laughs> Seriously, go check it out. It's dope. For this cycle, we asked you to send in stories about family discoveries, things you've learned about your family members that surprised you for better or worse. And boy, do we have some good tales for you. But before we get to those stories, this episode is sponsored by Identity. You know that feeling after you organize your closet? No more chaos, just... <sighs> Identity is that for the internet. Organize everywhere you log in in one place, so no need to remember 50 million sites and passwords. Our listeners can get started for free at identity.com slash Y-H-M-A-B. Alrighty, it's story time. Our first story is from Amber. You are cordially invited and requested to attend a virtual Zoom birthday celebration for Amber on Saturday, May 2nd at 4 p.m. We are looking forward to having a Zooming good family connection on her special day. Let's make her feel real good by joining this first time occasion. Hope to see you all there with your birthday greetings in her honor. Please follow the instructions provided below. That was the birthday invitation that my grandma sent out for my Zoom birthday party. I have created a Zoom monster. It all started when my grandma called me at the beginning of the pandemic to ask how she could connect her Sunday school group. And I was like, grandma, try Zoom. And she fell in love. She fell hard and she loves to Zoom around her words, not mine. She probably calls me at least twice a day with a question about Zoom or asking me to get on Zoom. And it drives me crazy but it also makes me really happy 
right now because I'm getting closer to her. I admit that before the pandemic, I didn't always call my grandparents the way that I should have. I called them, but we live in different states now and just with me working a lot, I sometimes wouldn't reach out to my grandparents for a couple of weeks. But since the pandemic, I'm working from home like everyone else is and Zoom has been the thing that has brought us closer together. And she Zooms me for the craziest things. Like she Zoomed my mom and I so she could play a song for us on her keyboard or to show me something on her phone or she has Zoomed me to screen share pictures of me that she found from high school on my Facebook page. And it just, (laughs) it blows me sometimes, but it also is the thing that I know that I'm gonna look back and I'm gonna smile on because I gave my grandmother something so meaningful and a way for her to still feel connected when our entire world is changing. And we don't know what tomorrow is gonna look like or the next few weeks or the next year possibly. So if that means that she's gonna call me two, three times a day about Zoom or to schedule random meetings to play something on the keyboard, I'm pretty okay with that right now. The next story comes from Nate, who learned his tough Caribbean father has a soft side. Since COVID started, it's been kind of crazy. Like, I've spent more time at my parents' house than I'm used to spending there. Both my, both me and my mom work in healthcare. My mom's a nurse, and I manage a program at a hospital. So we normally try to keep distance from people during times like this. But the laundry room in my apartment building is closed, and I have to wash the stuff that I work in just to be safe. So my parents told me to come over there and do it. So that's why I've been over there more and it's been it's been kind of interesting. Like growing up, like my mom always happy. She's so joyful and outgoing. And my dad, like that stereotypical Caribbean dad, like he angry or he kissing his teeth just going, eh, that's it. He like Terry Crews from Everybody Hates Chris. He got a box full of cards and he fill them out when needed. Sometimes gets flowers, but it's the same flowers every time. So I never quite understood the way they meshed. My mom is like all about people being romantic. Like she loves that stuff. So I just never quite got it. But anyway, like about a week or so ago, maybe two weeks, I was over there doing laundry. Just, you know, normal stuff. He asleep, my mom at work. It's like Saturday, maybe late morning, early afternoon. And I start to go through the fridge cause you know, there's it's only two of them that live there and they shop at Costco, so it'd be extra stuff. But normally, they just got meat, because my dad do the shopping and the cooking. And my mom, she be tired, especially right now. But my dad don't understand that you can cook things other than meat. He make chicken, steak, lamb, whatever. It's bomb, but it's just meat with some gravy. And he'll just go, I made the meat. Why you complaining for? You would think my mom eat meat like that she basically a pescatarian so I, I didn't really get it but i'm looking through the fridge this time and it's fish in there it's deviled eggs it's fresh fruit on the counter they got some plantain popping some mangoes i'm just like what and i look up and it's champagne and orange juice and they both kind of low and i'm like okay my dad been sipping like i remember growing up on special occasions we go to brunch he'd be a little tipsy you know my mom would drive us back and so I'm like, oh, I'm going to tease him. I'm going to get on his head when he come downstairs. So he come down. I'm like, okay, okay, I see you. You've been sipping that bubbly. And he just look at me all confused. And I'm like, it's, it's empty champagne bottles 
in the fridge. And with a straight face, this man goes, they are not empty. There is still champagne in there. And I'm like, this cheap ass. And he goes, and I ain't been sipping them. That ain't for me. Well, not all of it. And then he proudly walk into the kitchen, open the fridge and go, you see that mango juice? But of course, with an accent, so you see that mango juice? And he started making some pancakes, and I, I ain't used to that. This man normally make bacon with a side of bacon. And put it down and go, taste that. It was hella bomb. So I'm like, when you learn to make this shit? Anyway, he started giggling, and he goes, it's for your mom. And I'm just like, what? Like, you? what are you talking about? And he proudly explains, for the past few weeks, every weekend, I make brunch for your mom when she gets back home. So I'm like, oh, she must have told you to do this. Okay, okay. And he goes, no. It's not special if somebody tell you to do it. And he just look at me like I'm an idiot. Then goes, what, you think I'm going to be romantic in front of you? Hell no. My mom walk in, he got music playing, the plate is perfect. And I'm just like, wait, what? You can be romantic? You can have emotions? I, I barely could speak after that. But it was kind of cool. Like, I could see that same joy that I'm used to seeing in my mom when she walked in and heard the music and saw the food. And it was really cool to see that my dad actually cares and he actually probably been doing this the whole time. We just didn't see it. So that was pretty cool to, to learn. Now you'll hear from Nai. My story is about how I discovered that my mom is cool. My mom and I were always close. But I saw her as a standing mother, you know, go to work, come home, make sure I didn't die, the normal stuff. But I never really thought about what she did when she left the house. I knew she was a social worker most of my life, but I didn't really know what that meant. I thought it was all talking to people about their problems or going to organizations and helping them out with guidance. But it wasn't until one specific time that I thought that she was cool. It was when I saw the importance of the work that she was doing, like the time that she fought to pass a bill. The bill aimed to create racial fairness in the judicial system. She led a team of social workers, spoke to a lot of politicians and lawmakers, and worked long, tireless nights. I got to witness her passion and dedication, and I was proud of what I saw. I went with her to multiple conferences where she spoke about the bill, but it was this one time she was standing in front of a big, white room surrounded with a sea of a hundred plus people. She grabbed the mic, seeming so calm, her voice steady. Everyone in the room was engaged by her powerful presence. And that's when I thought, my mom is cool. Who knew? I called this story the time I dodged a major migraine. My mom isn't old, but she sure isn't tech savvy. And she for sure is not organized. So you can imagine my horror when I go to visit her and she turns to me with a smile so wide that her dimples show. Guess what? She squeals. I'm downsizing. Holy cow. Moving from my childhood home to a townhouse. I guess that is the next step for an empty nester. I hug her tightly. As long as she doesn't ask me to help her pack, I got no worries here. She'll be fine. She got this. Or so I thought. 
Fast forward a week later, and I'm in her living room, surrounded by boxes, trying to decide what to do with years of stuff that really should be thrown away. She peeks around the corner and asks, how do I cancel my cable? Online, I tell her. She freezes. Oh, well, what's the website? I shrug. Hell if I know. A few minutes later, and she reappears. What's my Amazon login again? I need to change my billing address. And now I see that this move was going to be a lot harder than I thought. And then she's back in the room. Identity, she shouts. Identity! I'm like, huh? But then I remember. A few months ago, I set her up on Identity.com. It's this dope site that organizes all of your online accounts into one place. I'm talking everything from your cable, insurance, and bank account to Amazon, Hulu, and all online shopping sites. You can securely access or update each one whenever you need to. We log into Identity and boom. In seconds, she's updating her billing and shipping details across different sites. Aww, and her wide dimple smile is back too. Who said moving has to be a nightmare? So I guess this is really a story of the time Identity helped us both dodge a major migraine. You had me at black listeners can get started for free at identity.com slash Y-H-M-A-B. That's identity, I-D-E-N-A-T-I. Our next story comes from Ayin. She always knew her grandpa was a successful musician, but she never knew how influential he truly was. So a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to this guy who's a Georgia native, and he was kind of giving me the third degree about being a transplant. And I was explaining to him that outside of the 13 colonies, most black folk have origins in the South. So I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm from Denver, Colorado, but both of my parents were from the South. And I was like, actually, my grandfather is from Atlanta, Georgia. He was born in the color section of Grady Hospital back in 1930. And I then went on to just like reminisce about my grandfather and just like naming things he's associated with. So I'm like, yeah, he's a he was a trumpet player, a jazz musician, a composer, a teacher. And the guy was like, yo, what's his name? And I was pretty nonchalant about it. I'm like, oh, it's Sam Bivens, but you're probably not going to find much on him because like most black musicians, his story is unsung in large part because we foregone telling our own stories and have left it up to mass media to dictate. Then he hits me up talking about, is this him, Sam Bivens? And he sends me this article and my eyes lit up. I was like, what? Yes, that's him. That's my grandpa. Like, oh my God. This article was written 10 years ago. And my grandfather passed away eight years ago in 2012. In the industry, he was known as Tibbs. And the story goes that in 1967, there's a movie where Sidney Poitier played a character named Mr. Tibbs. And a white man in the movie calls him by his first names. And he reasserts his dominance as a man and say, call me Mr. Tibbs. So he demands respect. So my grandpa got the name Tibbs, although his name is Sam Bivens. So as a little girl, I would hear him recount all these different stories. And after reading this article, it put everything in the timeline and in context. So in 1968, when Dr. Martin Luther King was killed, he was a teacher in Tennessee. And he was planning to go to the funeral and his principal said, if you go, you're fired. That's just another dead nigger. Of course, my grandfather being the man, a man's man that he is connected to the liberation of black people, he went and 
my mom told me that the next year he just wasn't hired back. So I'm reading the article and it mentions that my grandfather lived and worked in New York more times than he can count. Interviewer, she writes, over the years, he worked on the Jackie Wilson show and as an arranger for the Bill Kratz copying service, a company that provides sheet music for ABC, NBC and CBS. So when people are tuning in to watch these nighttime talk shows and they have the bands in the corner that plays the score at the right time. And it's like this beautiful synchronicity and moment with the talk show host and the band. Yo, my grandpa did that. <laughs> he was he was responsible for making that happen. I'm like, yo, this man was a big deal. The article then goes on to say how he was an arranger of over 162 sheets of original work, writing for every single instrument. He's had over 300 students who have gone on to become renowned musicians. There's a story I personally know told by my mom and my uncle and even like my grandpa of in Minnesota, because my family had to relocate after my grandfather lost his job. In Minnesota, this young artist, Prince, he can't get a record deal until there is sheet music provided for the song that he's pitching for this record deal to happen. And in Minnesota, people know this renowned trumpet player, composer, expert musician, Sam Biven. So they knock, boom, 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 on his door and say, Sam, Tibbs, can you listen to the song and write out the sheet music we needed for this artist so he could get his record deal? Of course, my grandfather does it. The rest is history. And in reading this particular article, it became more apparent of how many key players are left out of the stories we tell, even when they themselves are pivotal to the experiences and lives of those whom they impact. But yo, for the first time, I saw my grandfather, not as an elderly man who taught me piano with a strictness and level of perfectionism that is remnant of previous generations, but as an accomplished, skilled, expert musician that top musicians knew he was in that realm and they knew him as Tibbs, aka Sam Bivens. AKA my grandpa. <laughs> I'm so grateful for that article. I'm so grateful to to have received his story these many years later and to have context and a clear perception of what my heritage truly is. And I think so many of us, if we continue to listen to our elders and continue the tradition of the griot and just oral traditions and passing down the stories of previous generations, we will realize that so many of our individual family stories make up American history. Coming up is a story from Kevin. He learned that ain't nothing like a little Sunday brunch to kick off some family healing. This story is about how I discovered an ounce of my mother's trauma and a solution of how to help her work through it. Essentially, one Sunday morning during this quarantine season of ours, my sister and I had a revelational type of moment, that may not be a word, with my mother after our online church service. So the way that it starts is essentially every Sunday, since we've been trapped in our home by that wicked Rona, 
we have been making an effort to watch Church Online as a family. And as a result, you know, we have taken a further step to elaborate and further reflect on what we hear during the service by talking about it afterwards, before brunch or, you know, during breakfast or whatever. But this particular Sunday, my sister and I had a very like, you know, we we were peaked as far as interest is concerned on what the readings were discussing. And when we got upstairs, you know, after, of course, I threw down the best brunch on this side of Atlanta. You feel me? You know, we're breaking bread, you know, over the table and we're further dissecting what we heard. And my mother was telling us about how she hadn't watched a previous service before she watched the service with us and how the priest was saying X, Y and Z about things. And as I'm listening to her, I realized it doesn't really have any relation to what the readings were. So I asked her in the calmest voice possible. So, like, was he speaking just from an existential point of view or was he actually drawing inspiration from the readings just to kind of like understand, like, why he took that direction? And my mother was like, literally just goes off. I don't know what you're talking about. Why would you ask me a question? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, yo, ma'am, have several seats. Like, why are you going off? I just didn't understand it. So my sister and I sit down and we're trying to talk to our mom. So, you know, we go from church goers to therapist in a matter of minutes. And we're trying to understand why she got so defensive. Because this is something that my mother just does. Like asking her questions is not a safe space. Like you can't do it without her going off. And we're not children anymore. Like we feel like as adults, we should be able to have discussions with our parents. Like, you know, help me understand like what your point of view is. Help me understand like how you're thinking and why you're thinking so I could get to know you better. But she just, she just didn't understand. And when we ask, she fights back. So we're like trying to talk it out with her. And my mom was like, well, that's not the way I see it. I just felt like your face said X, Y, and Z. So I'm asking her, okay, why did you feel that way? What did I do to, you know, bring about this reaction? And what were you feeling as a result of what I did? And what came out of it was essentially like my mom was saying that she reads people's body language, you know, and she also prepares herself. If she feels like they're not receiving what she's saying, she prepares herself to fight and defend herself and sometimes may attack before you even you know, combat anything she's saying because she doesn't want to be deemed, you know, inadequate or unintelligent. Um, She just feels like she has to always defend herself. And we have to get her to understand, like, as your family, this should be your safe space. We're we're home. Like, I'm not going to judge you. And I think that was a healthy breakthrough moment for us because she understood, like, like why we were saying what we said. And she also made an effort to let us know how we can make it easier her for her to talk to us. Because at the end of the day, like we want to have a great relationship with our mother. And it just sometimes takes, you know, an open ear and an available heart to understand that I got to breathe and check myself before I'm prepared to attack other people because she's been hurt so many times. And now she feels like she has to always fight. But you're home. You're loved. You're with us. So you can relax. And, you know, it's a process, but we made it. Our last story is from Joshua. He discovered that he might need a lock on his PlayStation. So when I was younger, growing up, my dad would help us back. This is back when we had PlayStation 2. And my dad used to help us 
with some of the games if they were too difficult for us. And I was, you know, I was a young kid, maybe seven, eight, nine, and I would struggle with some parts of the game and he'd come in and he'd get me through it. And then so that way I could finish the game. And, you know, once I got old enough, you get to that age of where, you know, you kind of just learn how to how to complete video games and you can just do it yourself. Right. He stopped playing completely. And so fast forward, I would say 12 years. He hasn't touched PlayStation, not once, not an Xbox, not a PC game, nothing. You know, he never really just seemed interested. And I never asked him. Now, there was this one game, though, that comes out. It's called God of War. And I pick it up and I start playing it. And he just so happens to walk down one day while I'm playing. And and he's like, you know, what game is this? I tell him, oh, it's God of War and all this stuff. And so, you know, he sees me fighting these ghouls and goblins and all this. And he's like, oh, can I play? I look at him like, really? He's like, yeah. And so I'm like, okay. So I give him the controller. And that was probably the worst mistake ever because ever since then, he has been nonstop every day battling me for the game. At 12 o'clock, he's like, all right, Joshua, it's my turn. It's my turn. It's my turn. Every time it's like, I'll, I'll play for two hours and he wants to play for like five hours and he just battles me all the time. And now that he's completely beat the game, like he completely beat God of War, but now he wants to go back and do side missions. And so he still wants to keep playing in. And he's like, Joshua, come on, just give me five minutes. Give me five more minutes. Give me five more minutes. And it's funny because, you know, that's exactly how I am when he's like, Joshua, get off the game. Come on, go, go, go help out over here. And I'm like, give me five minutes. Give me five minutes. And now he's starting to sound like me. Yeah, I just thought that was funny. You know, being trapped in, in the house. He got limited options, so he took up playing video games and now he's addicted. So that's the story about how my dad got addicted to video games at the age of 58. Thanks for listening to You Had Me on Black. Catch part two of At the House on the Wild Black podcast on Sunday, May 17th. For our next cycle of At the House, we're talking teachers. Last week was Teacher Appreciation Week, which had many of us flashing back to all our teachers who helped us out along the way. With distance learning and homeschooling, lots of folks have realized how tough it is to be a good teacher. But at the same time, we know what it's like to have teachers that bring the injustices of the world into the classroom. And we know the impact that can have. What's a memorable encounter you've had with a teacher? What happened in that moment? Tell us a story. Visit youhadmeatblack.com slash at the house to share with us. There you'll find tips to help you tell a bomb-ass story in five minutes or less. We can't wait to hear it. You Had Me at Black was created by two sisters. That's us, Martina and Brittany Abrahams. We produced this podcast along with Richard White. And Miles Dotson, our sound designer and engineer, he makes us sound good. Peace.